Let's turn to Psalm 49. Psalm 49. How do we live as Christians? How do we live the Christian life in this world? We know certain things to be true as Christians and accept them readily, that God created all things. I believe it's safe to say that we all here believe in God's absolute sovereignty over all things. And we would all confess that we take comfort in those things as being realities. But as you live the Christian life, oftentimes you find that the world's not going the way maybe you thought it might be going. And it draws you to question why do things happen the way they are happening? And we, we tend to just forget those theological, wonderful truths that God is sovereign. All that takes place is unfolding uh, according to His eternal decree and everything's okay and working towards His glory and for the good of the church. We tend to forget those things when we see the wicked prosper. When we believe that maybe we are even being pushed down or held back by the wicked. And so Psalm 49 is that final psalm of the sons of Korah where they reflect on how we ought to live when we see the world going awry. And it addresses us very poignantly by simply this one fact is this, is everyone's dying, and everyone will one day die. That's the reality of life. So what do we do as Christians in light of that one fact that we're all moving to this one date that we, is unknown to us, how do we live in light of that? In other words, this draws us to think, how do we live in light of eternity? So let us hear the word of God. Psalm 49, verse 1. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts of, that perish. 
This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after the people approve of their boast, like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol, with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. This is the word of God. Every bit of it is God's word. Every bit of it is instruction for how we live. It's very simple how we live through this life when we are tempted or we wonder why others are increasing and we become jealous of those things. We're reminded and brought to reality. This is the reality of life. This is what's happening. It begins with a universal call in verses 1 and 2. This is a call for us to listen. Hear this, all peoples. In other words, this instruction isn't just for Israel. It's, it's really not just even for, for Christians. It's for all people to hear this. And he goes on to qualify that, give ear, all inhabitants of the world. This is the universal truth for all of us. This is a universal truth that we all need to take into account and to weigh our own life and own direction by these words. This is not just for the lowly, because he says it's both low and high, both rich and poor together. Very interesting how Luther interprets this, because he interprets it allegorically and sees it as a reference to all different types of people, either in Adam or out of Adam. The whole point is, is that the psalmist is addressing all people that there are. Low, high, rich, poor, and all in between. Listen. Hear this. All peoples. You and I need to listen to what's being said here. He goes on to say, My mouth shall or will speak wisdom. Now notice the language here. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Now, when you hear those words, what does that bring to mind for you? Proverbs chapter 1. We read these words. To know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. 
Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. It's almost the same language that we see in the psalm. Is at the very outset of the Proverbs, how do we obtain wisdom for living, skill, instruction, understanding to understand riddles? Verse 7 of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That is to know who God is and to know that you're not him. Wisdom specifically is this. It's not your intelligence. Otherwise, there would be a lot of people that I would consider wise, but I don't. Because they do not know the Lord. It's skillful living in a covenant. It is skillful living in the Christian life. How do I live this life as a Christian? That is what wisdom is. That's why when you read the Proverbs, and the Proverbs are all about wisdom, it's telling us how life should be. The Proverbs aren't promises to us. They're giving us instruction how we ought to live skillfully as covenant people of God. He says that in this is the meditation of the heart, and you see the connection with the Proverbs, that it is the fear of God. And when you go into Psalm 2 and you see that the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night, The beginning of wisdom, and this is that meditation upon God's Word first and foremost. That is thinking upon the truth. This is the meditation of our heart, is God's Word. And so notice what he says, I will, verse 4, I will incline my ear to a proverb, Something that guides me in how to live skillfully as a Christian. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. I will sing praises to the Lord. The psalmist then goes from here to show us three forms of false security. And this is the reality of life. When you look at the wicked and you look at those that seem to prosper in their ways, whereas maybe we, it seems that you're languishing or the, maybe the church seems to be languishing, the, the psalmist gives us three things that the wicked find security in. And the first thing is in verses 5 through 12. They find security in their riches. They find security in their thing. They have a false security in their material wealth. In verses 13 and 15 through 15, it says that they have a false confidence because of all of the things and all of their their power and uh, all that they have achieved in life. It's, It's led to a false confidence. And then the final thing that they have a false security is they have a false glory. 
Whereas they're praised here, now there's coming a day where the praise they receive here on this earth is going to end. So how do we live wisely in light of that? Well, first we have to know that. We can't be brought into that trap of finding security in things. We can't be brought into that trap of having a false confidence because we're praised. We can't fall into the trap of thinking, look at my glory and boasting in it. These are all forms of false security. Notice what it says in verse 5. To start this off, why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Now just pause for a second. Put yourself in a situation or an experience in life where you have faced something like this. A time of trouble. And did you find yourself in fear in that moment? Look what he asks. Why should I fear in times of trouble? Really, this is translated as this. Do not fear in times of trouble. And it's literally, do not tremble when things are bad. You see, there are going to be dark and there are going to be evil days, and there has been since the church has been around, but the Christian knows how to handle it because we see the bigger picture. We see that all that is here is not all that there is. This is fading, if you will. And so he begins by saying, don't fear those who cheat you, which means that they have the power to cheat you. When those that surround you, which means they have some sort of power over you, don't fear them. And he begins to, to tell us who they are. Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of the riches. And so now what we see here is that it's a group of people that have power. They have wealth. They have means. And by the way, this is not denigrating the rich. This is denigrating those that have power and abuse it. But look at how they are identified. What do they trust in? They trust in what they have. Now pause. Go back to where we began We believe that our God created the heavens and the earth and is absolutely sovereign over all things, that he sent his son to live a perfect life, to bear the sins of his people and give us his righteousness, and that in Christ we have eternal life. My trust is in that God. The wicked, their trust is in their money. Their trust is in their things and their wealth, and they boast of the abundance of their riches. The Christian boasts in the God that created him. Jeremiah 9.23 says, 
Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. How transitory are things. They are very constantly in transition. How secure is our wealth? How secure are the things that we have? As soon as something is built and is glorious, it's already beginning to be in self-destruction mode. How quickly when we build something, it's not too soon before we see the foundations of it cracking. So those that would surround you, those that would cheat you, they're in a far worse place than you are, even as they're surrounding you, because they trust in their wealth, which is here today and is gone tomorrow. He goes on to say about this wealth, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. What is that saying? With all their wealth, they cannot buy God. And you think about this for a second. A person with a great deal of wealth can pay off a judge, can bribe an officer, can use their wealth to hire attorneys and to escape what we might see as justice. But they can't do that with God. They cannot buy their life And the reality is, Job tells us, a man's days are determined. Even with all of their wealth that they cannot ransom their life with, they cannot buy God off with, all of the wealth that they have here that they trusted in, eventually, they'll see the pit. The pit means destruction. In Psalm 103, you see how it's used in verse 4. Who redeems your life from the pit? Speaking of a place that's just not death, but a, a destruction in death that is one we fear. In fact, when you read in Isaiah chapter 14 of the fall of Satan... In Isaiah chapter 14, in verse 12, it begins to speak of Satan falling. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You who said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on my, the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself 
like the Most High, Satan in his pride saying he will ascend over God. But look what happens, verse 15. But you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. This psalm speaks of death throughout it. And so Sheol is mentioned many times, and here the pit is mentioned. And as we'll see later on, is we have to understand there's Sheol, which means the grave, and then there's the pit, which is a distinction of the grave. It's a distinction in Sheol itself. It's a place of punishment. It's a place of wrath. It's a place of gnashing of teeth. It's the place where one is never consumed but continually tortured. That's the pit. They think that they can buy their lives out of the pit, but God says, no, you can't. You can't buy yourself out of the pit. And look at how they are described. Verse 10. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. That's the reality. They see themselves that are described this way because they receive the applause of man, they receive the glory of man, they see themselves in this certain way, but how does God describe them? He says they're stupid, which means they're brutish. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 12 that like the beast, he perish. He lives no different than an animal. What a statement for them. That's the reality. In Psalm 92, verse 6, it says, The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. That's the reality that they're in. So what we see right now sometimes is that There's wealth, there's prosperity, there's power, and we go, how could wicked people have this? Look at, they're marching to their doom. They're marching to the place of destruction. They're marching to the pit. And that wealth that they accumulated will be left to others. They cannot take it with them. And the reality of this is this. They built their lives on this home here. And grasp this with me because this affects how we live. They spent their whole entire lives on this home here. Look at verse 11. But their graves are their homes forever. So is yours and mine. This is not our home. We have a forever home we will receive in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Though they had things, though they owned all this, though they were very powerful in life, and they, they lived their lives to accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. And by the way, it's not bad to accumulate things. I think it's good to have a savings and leave something behind. 
God thinks that as well because he tells us to do it. But they spent their whole entire lives living for these things, pursuing things for the here and now. And this teaches us how we live now actually prepares us for eternity. Think about it. They wasted their entire lives accumulating all that will be destroyed. What do they inherit? Destruction. They spent their whole entire lives pursuing that which just simply like a flower fades away. What will they receive? That's what they will receive. That is their forever home. That is their dwelling place to all generations, which means that's their everlasting place. Even though they owned here, they won't receive that inheritance then. Verse 12, man in his pomp, that is his splendor. And this is a very interesting word because it speaks of heaviness. They actually had substance here, were thought of as being people of means. They had a position of of power. There was a, a certain heaviness about them. But what does it say in the text? He is like the beasts that perish. Ecclesiastes says something very similar. Ecclesiastes 3.19 For whatever happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity. This teaches us to remember the reality. The one that trusts in his riches has a false security. They have a false confidence that flows out of that. You'll see that in verse 13. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. We're going to see what their path is. This is their walk. This is their way of life. And so he's telling us what their path is. And in it, we are reminded things are not as they seem to be. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence, that is vain confidence. Yet after them, many people approve of their boasts. So those who have confidence, he calls it foolish confidence. Why do they have confidence? Because people are continually coming behind them and patting them on the back. But here's the path of them. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. They're actually marching to their death. But what is it that we so often as Christians, how we so often face things in life? Well, we see in Psalm 44, you have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. That's sometimes how it feels like for us right now. In this world, it sometimes feels like that. In verse 14, you have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. Sometimes that's the way it seems. In verse 22, yet for your sake we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's speaking of the Christian. 
But what do we read? That's the way it seems. That's the way maybe we experience things in this life. But what do we see here? It's actually those that are the wicked, that are the sheep, that are being led. Death itself will be their shepherd. Dear friends, here's the wonderful truth. The Lord is my shepherd. Death is not my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Dear friends, if you are in Christ, death is not your shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. That's the difference. That's the difference between the wicked and the Christian. And look at the reality of this. The upright shall rule over them in the morning. As only Spurgeon could say it, he wrote, The poor saints were once the tail, but at daybreak they shall be the head. It's the wonderful truth of our inheritance in Christ. We will one day rule with Christ. He goes on to say, Their form shall be consumed in Sheol, with no place to dwell. Word form means to be consumed. All the comforts they had in their lands and their wealths and all the things that they took, they're, they're going to a time, they're going to their forever home where they will receive no comfort. The King James translates it this way, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave. Their beauty shall be consumed in the grave. In verses 14 and 15, you'll notice Sheol is mentioned three times. And we already saw in verse 9 the pit. Well, Sheol is just the place of the dead. It was used in the Old Testament universally for anyone that dies. But then you see words like the pit, the place of destruction, that tells us that there's, the, there's a separation within Sheol. You see this, Jesus tells about this in Luke chapter 16, which actually relates very nicely to Psalm 49. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple. This is verse 19 of, if you're there, in Luke 16. He's clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. What's being described? The man in pomp, the man with the lands, the man with the wealth. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed 
with what fell from the rich man's table, Lazarus didn't even care to sit at the rich man's table. He just wanted the scraps from the table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. You know, from Lazarus' perspective in this life, he looked at the rich man and probably wondered, why does that man have so much? Here I am, a faithful child of Abraham, and the dogs are licking my sores. That's the way things seem, isn't it? Look at verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here. And you are in anguish. And besides all this, here's the difference. Abraham's bosom, the pit between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from here to us. Wonderful story. R.C. Sproul, I'm not quoting him verbatim, but from memory, so if I mess it up, you won't know and I'll apologize later. But when R.C. was preaching on the horrors of hell, fire, the lake of fire. Someone asked him, do you think it's literally a lake of fire? And he said something that surprised me. But he said, no, not literally a lake of fire. Scripture's using language in a way that we can understand something. It's far worse than a lake of fire. We see the rich man just asking that Lazarus would come and and he's still assuming a position over him. Would Lazarus be my servant and cool me off with a little bit of water from his finger? I'm in anguish. But where was Lazarus? Comforted with the Lord. Spurgeon's right. The poor... Saints were once the tail, but at daybreak, they shall be the head. The wicked are consumed, no comforts. Their beauty shall be consumed in the grave. And look at the beauty of verse 15. If this has been a downer, here's 15. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Contrast that. Verse 8. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. Their money 
cannot buy them out, but the Lord himself will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. You will be ransomed in Christ. The wicked will not be. It is a work of God himself that does it. That's our hope. Because we know that there's nothing that we could provide that would ever be enough to ransom our life. So look what verse 16 says. It warns of the false security of one's own glory on this earth. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich. When the glory of his house increases. This is a repeat of verse 15 in many ways. Be not afraid with the one who trusts in wealth. Here it is. Be not afraid with the one that has a weightiness about him and it continues to increase. For when he dies... He'll carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. Remember, years ago, I was watching this uh, documentary on Dean Martin. And he was incredibly talented and gifted as an actor and a singer. And he was a good-looking man. Everyone recognized him as good-looking, a good-looking man, very popular. One of the final pictures of him was sitting in a Vegas restaurant at a little booth by himself, shriveled in, no longer had his looks, no longer had his health, didn't die too much longer after that. The glory we have here is very quickly evaporates. Whether we have glory in something we're able to achieve, glory in a a career, glory in wealth, whatever it is, it's here and then it's gone. You see this with sports athletes. They get to a certain point where they can no longer perform like they once did, but why can't they retire graciously? Trying to hang on to that glory that they receive. The glory we receive here is short-lived. Which tells us something about the glory that we should be living for, doesn't it? Teaches us something that, well, anything... We have here, it's not going with us. It teaches us that there's a greater glory that has an infinite weight. How do I live wisely in this life? Well, I shouldn't live for things that are being destroyed. I shouldn't live for a false security of my own glory because it's just that. It's just my own earthly glory, and it fades. Verse 18, for though, while he lives, 
He counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go down to the generation of his fathers who will never see again light. It's a speaking of is the finality of, of death. Is appointed a man to die once and then the judgment. You see, you all know your birthday. You know when you were born. You don't know that second date on the tombstone, do you? But we're all going to have it. And there's no turning back at that point. There will come a day where you breathe your last. There will be coming a day when your heart beats one last time. There will be a final heartbeat. There will be a final breath. There will be a final vision of things in this world. There will be a final time of hearing the things of this world and smelling the things of this world. There will will come that final moment. And then once that moment comes, it's over. Where was our trust? Where was our hope? Was our trust in what we have? Was our trust in our confidence? Was it trust in our, our glory that people patted us on the back? Look what it says in verse 20. Man in his pomp. It's the same thing as verse 12. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding. There it is. The one who did not live wisely is like the beast that perish, which means the word nothing. So how do we live wisely? Well, a couple of Psalms give us some guidance on this. Psalm 30 verse 9 says, what profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? living for the glory of God because there's coming a day where I won't have it. Well, what does Jesus say? For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? I think that that could be a summary of all that was said there. What are we living for? Are we living for the things of this world? Are we living for Christ? And as I live for Christ, how do I live wisely? We'll go back to the beginning. It says, my mouth shall speak wisdom. In other words, the psalmist is giving us God's word, speaking wisdom, and when wisdom is spoke, what are we to do? Listen. We are to listen to the Word of God. We are to be guided by the Word of God. But not only that, it's the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. Notice what it says in verse 20. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is nothing. What does it say here? The meditation of my heart shall be, will be, understanding. 
How do we have understanding from God's word? Look what it also says. I will incline my ear to a proverb, that is, I will listen to it, and I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Hear the word? Meditate on the word? Sing the word. That's it. How do I live wisely as a follower of Christ? Listen to the word? Meditate upon the word? Sing the word. If you're in Christ and you're looking at the world and you wonder why, why are things? Well, the psalmist tells you how to live in light of that. You listen to the word, you meditate upon the word, you sing the word. That's it. That's what he tells us to do. He says, that's what I will do when I see all of these things going on around me. I know that they're going to die and they're going to the pit and we're reminded of that, but God will ransom my life. So how do I live right now? Here it is. Is you listen to the word, you meditate on the word, and you sing the word. That's what he's telling us. I know a place you can do that. It's in the local church. We listen to the word. We meditate upon the word. And we sing the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Oh, it guides us into all truth and how we may live wisely according to it. We pray for your grace. We pray for your help. As we do live in this time now, we know it's temporal. We know that there is a heavenly glory awaiting us. We pray that we would always keep our eyes fixed upon Christ and upon Him and the salvation that we have in Him, that we wouldn't get bogged down with the cares of this world. Father, we have your perfect instruction your word. It's your word given to us. May it be planted deep in our heart and guide our footsteps in all ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.